You can turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 25 this morning. Uh, I want to look at some of the same things that we looked at last week and just kind of uh, go a little deeper. Uh, So as we begin here, I just want to read the same passage that we used last week because I think it is... Uh, it reveals to us uh, what is at the heart of Matthew 25, where we're going to go today. Uh, so let me just read that uh, first, first Peter uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in his various forms. So uh, the first thing that uh, I want to tell you, I guess, as we look into this idea of the love of God being established in our hearts and then that bringing about a heart of generosity within us, that's what happens when the love of God is poured into the life of of a believer, somebody who is founded in the love of God begins to be a generous person. And out of that, then, that is expressed through hospitality. And we'll talk about that more as we go here. But uh, just first to tell you how important this is, uh, honestly, it's not something I ever really thought uh, in depth about. Uh, you know, maybe over the last uh, year, I can say that, uh, you know, Jamie and I have talked uh about our desire to to have people come over to our house to be able to grow with them and and have time of fellowship with people and seeing that is important but I never necessarily looked into what the Bible actually says about the depths of hospitality until recently and I can tell you that I have learned more in the last two or three weeks studying this topic about God's love than I have in the last ten years of ministry Uh, it is an amazing thing that we are called to, uh, being hospitable towards one another. And there's a great depth to, to this uh, biblical topic. And as I said before, I think last week, that uh, you know, the Bible is so serious about Christian hospitality that it says that, uh, that every believer should practice this among ourselves and among people in the world, that we should be hospitable to people. But it goes as far as even saying the, quali- the qualifications for somebody to be a leader is to be hospitable. So that is one of the things that should be uh, established in the heart of those who are Christian leaders, is to be a person of hospitality. Uh, but we're going to talk about that more as we go here. And is First Peter, as he talks about here, the reason I wanted to read this scripture is because I believe it says that the end of all things is near. That's how he starts this in verse 7. The end of all things is near. And as I talked about last week, that means that we are in the final days, that the time of the end when Christ returns is drawing near. We are almost to the end, is what he is saying. So with the few days that we have left, he goes on to say then we should love each other deeply, use the time that we have remaining to love each other deeply, to offer hospitality without complaining, and to use whatever we have received to serve others. And I believe this scripture is important because we see this in practice then in Matthew chapter 25 where we're going to go uh, this morning. So we'll be kind of bouncing back and forth between these two passages of scripture. But Matthew 25 starting in verse uh, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in the heavenly glory. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people uh, one from another as a shepherd's shep- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you looked and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Uh, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When, would, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not, uh, whatever, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to the eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Uh, so this, uh, again, gives us a picture of what the Christian life, uh, the picture of a Christian life who is established in the love of God, leading to the generosity of spirit that we see in God. Everything that we're talking about here, we see in God reflected through Christ. And we will talk about that more as we go. But the Christian life that is established in love uh, the generosity of God uh, poured out into our hearts, then expressed in hospitality to others. That is what we see in this passage of Scripture. Uh, the first thing that we have to notice when we see this is, is uh, in verse 34, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So the first thing that we see is that there is an inheritance. There is something that is waiting for the people of God at the end. That there is something that we are able to step into. There is something beyond what we know that is available to us. Uh, not, not just the final reward in heaven. That is, that is a huge part of it where we step into the fullness of all that there is. We see God as He is. We see the fullness of the kingdom. We step into the fullness of the inheritance. But even as we walk here on the earth, we are able to walk in as the Word of God says, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we inherit the blessings of God that are made available to us now to walk through this earth uh, with the peace that God brings, with the righteousness that God brings, and the joy that God brings. Everything that is Christ is available to us. So we have to understand first that there is an inheritance. There is something beyond what we know. First uh, Peter uh, 1, starting in verse 3, it says, In his great mercy uh, he has given us new birth in, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So there's an inheritance that we have avail- available to those who would be born uh, through the, the death and resurrection of Christ, through the, the, the uh, salvation that is available to us. There's an inheritance that awaits those people. That is very significant for us to keep 
set before us, understanding that there is going to be a day where we stand before God, and he says to those who have been obedient, who have walked in him, that you may continue on to uh, take hold of the fullness of the inheritance that is made available for you. Um, So we have to recognize that uh, through Christ, the only begotten Son, he is the natural heir of the Father. Christ is the natural heir of the Father. God said to him, you are my son, today I become your father. Uh, Christ's inheritance is all of the universe. Everything that is, all that is in existence, Hebrews 1-2 says that the Son has been appointed heir of all things. Then the Bible goes on to talk about how we were adopted as sons, and we have become co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, starting verse 14, says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we almost we also may share in his glory. So we have become heirs as we have been adopted into the family of God through Christ. God has invited us into his family through Christ and invited us to lay hold of all things that Christ is an heir of. The Bible says that Christ is an heir of all that exists. It is his inheritance. We are adopted through Christ into God's family and co-heirs of all those things with Christ. Now that is something significant for us who believe to lay hold of, to be motivated by, to walk in the assurance that we have something that is beyond this world that is waiting for us through the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, Heirs are those who receive their allotted possession by right of sonship. So the moment that you receive Christ as your Lord, it is your right through Christ to take hold, to lay hold of that inheritance. You have received that the same as if you were always a son. I remember my brother talking about my brother, my older brother uh, and his wife adopted a uh, uh, a young girl and. Uh, she was a baby when they when they adopted her, and I remember him talking about how that really came alive for him when he was sitting in the courtroom and signed the papers, and the judge finally said, "You realize that this means uh, i don 't remember exactly how he said it, but basically he 's saying this you realize this means that she is an heir to everything that you have, that she is adopted just like she was your flesh and blood. She is the same as everything else. there is no difference in this moment when you sign these papers." She is adopted as your daughter. And that is such a significant thing to think, that we were separated, that we were so distant from God that we could never be in His presence, had no reason to be in His presence. We had nothing in us that could be good enough to merit His presence. But through Christ, He has adopted us and made us heirs the same way that His own Son is an heir of all things. Christ who left his glory in heaven that everything was under him in that moment, but he would leave his place in heaven to come to the misery of mankind to make us heirs in the same way that he is an heir of all things. We are adopted through Christ into the family of God and made heirs of all things through Christ. Um, But then the Bible goes on to talk about, uh, in Matthew 25, it goes on to talk about the, the character of those who are co-heirs with Christ. 
so the lives of those who are co-heirs with Christ are characterized by the things that we read in First Peter. It says, then the king will say in, in Matthew, I'm sorry, that we are characterized by the things we read in First Peter. It says, those who have an inheritance in God, they are people, again, who love each other deeply, who offer hospitality without complaining, use whatever they have to serve other people. And that is exactly what we see in Matthew chapter 25. Starting in verse 34, he says, Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he goes on, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit see, our character as co-heirs is established in the love of God that has been poured into our hearts. And then, as we are compelled by that love, we become a servant of mankind. We become a servant of those around us. We are able to pour ourselves out for the sake of other people. You see, because when I finally recognize the significance of the salvation that I have received, it is nothing for me than to offer myself to other people. I think, I think it is hard for us to offer ourselves to other people when we don't fully grasp the significance of salvation. When I don't understand that I was totally spiritually bankrupt, that I was destitute, I had nothing, as I've said before, that we come to the cross of Christ and our pockets are empty. I have nothing. When I realized that I was fully 100% helpless in every way, and that it is by Christ's sacrifice alone that I have been adopted and become a co-heir of all the riches of God, everything that He has available, I have become a co-heir with Christ. When I realize that, then I am compelled by that love to act in the same way that Christ has acted toward me. You see, it's, 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 no, it's just the natural outflow of that love of Christ that He has expressed to me, the hospitality of Christ. Think about the significance of that. That I had no right to be with God, but the God of heaven has invited me to be a part of His family through His Son. That's what we're talking about in hospitality. What, what is hospitality? It is inviting someone else to be a part of your life. It is offering my, myself, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, everything that I have, offering my attention for the sake of someone else to invite them into what I know. The hope that I have, the joy that I have, the righteousness that we have in God. That is what we are talking about in hospitality. It is using everything that I have the same way Christ left his place in heaven and invited me to the table of God. The Bible talks about that over and over. The God has, it's in Psalm 23, the Bible says that God has prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. God has invited me to his table. I had no right to be there, I was a stranger. You see, that's what hospitality means. The Greek word literally means love of strangers. And that's what I was. I was a stranger to God. And the God of heaven, through His Son, has invited me to the table to fellowship and commune with Him and to have peace with Him and to walk with Him on a daily basis. But the character of those who are co-heirs, or the co-heirs are compelled by the love that they have received from Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. 
And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Ellicott's commentary said this, In living not to ourselves but to Christ, we gain new standard of judgment, new ways of looking at things. To know a man after the flesh is to know him by the outward accidents and circumstances of his life. His wealth, his rank, his culture, his knowledge. St. Paul ceased to judge men by those standards. He says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. They regarded Christ from a worldly point of view, the moment where they lived in ignorance and where they would look on Christ and see Him just as maybe a good teacher. Or they would look on Him and see He had some good teachings, but He's really not that significant to my life. There are other things that are more important in life. When I begin to look at the world around me and judge it based on my standards, Christ doesn't mean much. But when I stop judging things from a worldly point of view, we understand the wealth the unsearchable riches of Christ and what He has available to us. It says we regard man no longer according to the flesh. I don't look at other people according to the flesh anymore. See, it's the same way. I have had my eyes opened in salvation. Christ calling me to be adopted into the family of God. I have acknowledged my destitution and received the gift of God that has called me to be a co-heir with Christ. And I understand that because of the spiritual vision that that God gives me through the working of Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And when I do that, the world begins to take on a different meaning. I begin to interpret the things around me with a different lens than I did before. You see, because we recognize that there is something different. We're not living for ourselves. I'm not living for myself. I'm not living just for the people around me for selfish reasons, but I'm compelled by the love that God has poured into my life. And when I have had that love poured into my life, I don't regard any longer the people around me according to worldly standards. I don't care about somebody's wealth. I don't care what somebody has or what they don't have. I don't care what somebody looks like. I don't care uh, how they act. None of that matters when the love of God has been poured into my heart. Because how I react to situations is out of the motivation that I received from knowing that Christ has loved me. Oswald Chambers said, when we, when we realize that Christ has loved us to the end of our meanness, then I should have no problem loving someone else to the end of theirs. You see, we recognize that Christ has called us to be compelled by His love, that we come to the place where we are filled with His love, and that motivates me in my interactions with other people. We regard no one from a worldly point of view any longer, but I look through my spiritual eyes and understanding the love of Christ that He has given me, and that I am able to apply that to others. Uh, again, we, when we begin to see that happening in our hearts when we are established in that love. The Bible says that God pours into our heart this, uh, the love of God through the Spirit of God. When this happens, I begin to look at things through a different lens. Uh, so we are called again in First Peter, love each other deeply. Why? Because God has loved me more deeply than I can even imagine. Because the love of God has called His Son to leave His place in heaven to be spit on, to be beaten, to be 
crucified for you and I so that we could become adopted into his family. We love each other deeply because love, God has loved me more deeply than I can even imagine. We are to offer hospitality without complaining because God's love has been extended to me in hospitality, inviting me to be adopted into his family. And then he says, you are to use whatever you have received to serve others. Because God has made his mercy and grace available to me in new ways, Bible says that we are to be stewards, again, stewards of God's graces in its various forms, that God has poured his grace into my heart through his love and his mercy, and I use that to the benefit of other peoples. I use that sacrificially to the benefit of other people because God has made his mercy, his, his graces available to me, new, every morning. Everything that God has, he has made available to me to step into every morning in a new way. You see, again, that is God's hospitality. He has called me to his table. He has given me provision. He has given me renewal. He has given me strength. All of these things that God has invited me in, and then he has provided for me to walk in his fullness. You see, then it says that we are to be faithful stewards of those things that God has poured into our hearts, using them for other people. Because God has invited me and given me these things, then I invite others to myself to pour into them what God has given me. You see, God is not calling us to receive all of these blessings and just stay together with just our families or just ourselves or or just even our church. The blessings that God has poured into our hearts have have been meant to draw us to Him, to have fellowship with Him individually, And then it has been meant to call us together as the body of Christ to have fellowship in Him. You see, it doesn't end there. We can't be a people who just have all of these resources and strength and knowledge and understanding of who God is uh, and walk in this righteousness, peace, and joy. We can't just stop in that place where we fellowship together, but we continue to invite strangers into that place so they can come to understand the same things. We invite them to the table so that we can begin pouring into other people what God has poured into us. That is what we are talking about when we're talking about hospitality. Uh, So we love each other deeply. deeply We offer hospitality without complaining uh, and use whatever we have to serve others. Uh, And then Romans 13, 8 through 10 talks about the debt of love. It says in verse 8, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And I said before that there are so many moments where we begin in the Christian church to try to live by a set of rules. We have all of these things, just for instance, the Ten Commandments, don't, just as we read there, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't do this, all, this and all these things that we shouldn't do as Christians. And we try to, just as the rich young ruler stood before Christ and he said, I, I'm doing all of these things. What more do I need to do? He said, give away everything that you have to the poor. Why? Because he looked on his heart in that moment, and he knew 
that his riches possessed his heart. He knew that was the, the place that he wouldn't go. He wouldn't go as far as being able to give away all the things. Because I was doing this and this and this, that should be good enough for me to be a Christian. But you see, that's what he's saying here. Is that None of these things matter. You, you don't have to commit adultery. You don't kill somebody. You don't do all these things. And you can still not be walking in relationship with God. You see, because I can conform to a list of things that I shouldn't do. I can reform my behaviors to meet a list of things. But I can still do that without love in my heart. That's why he's saying when you have love poured in your heart, when that's the essence of your being, when you are established in that, that is the fulfillment of all the list of things that you shouldn't do. You see, because my love motivates me to not do these things. It's not just, I want to do these things so that I can go to heaven. It is my love for God and other people motivate me to not kill, to not commit adultery, to not covet, to not do all of these things. That is a drastically different thing when it is motivated. I have the love that God has poured into my heart. He says, the love that is established in us is the fulfillment of all the things that you shouldn't do. It's no longer external regulations It brings peace to the heart because it is written on my heart. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts in all of this, whatever we're doing here, whatever we're doing in our Christian walk, the only thing that counts is my faith in God expressing itself to God and others through love. That is the only thing that counts. He goes on to talk about the expression of love then. In verse 35, Matthew 25, verse 35, he says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Again, we will find that love cultivates generosity, which then extends towards others through hospitality. So Christ in this moment talks about the end, where people would be standing before his throne, where everything that we have done would be laid bare before him that he would see everything, he would know everything. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison and you invited me in. Verse 37, he says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Verse 40, he says, Then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So, The essence of hospitality, what we are talking about here, is the generosity that flows from a heart established in the love of God. Because generosity leads me to the place of inviting others to the table, inviting others to uh, 
offer them my gifts and talents and abilities and attention. I offer those things generously, not based on what I receive and not based on if they can repay, not based on how they react. You see, biblical, biblical hospitality, we're not talking about the place where most of us think of hospitality as uh, setting up some kind of dinner for people to come over and entertaining them. That is not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is me freely offering everything that I have for the sake of someone else, sacrificially. And this passage is talking about people who can't repay. That we would look on the people that need clothes, the people that need uh, all of the things that uh, that we say here. Where was the verse? Uh, verse um, 35, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, all of these things. We see people who need these things and I offer them generously because God has offered to me generously. What we are not talking about here is just people getting together with people they are comfortable with. It's easy to to look at my family and have them come together. It's easy to look at my friends that I'm comfortable with and have them come over and try to pour into their hearts. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not telling you not to do that. But you see, the essence of Christian love is extending ourselves beyond our comfort zone, inviting other people in to what we have received from God. Probably not going to be able to repay. It's probably going to be inconvenient for us. It's probably going to be uncomfortable for us. Might even have to invite somebody and offer them something. Invite somebody that you don't really feel that comfortable with. Maybe somebody that irritates us. You see, the Bible calls us beyond those things to generously offer the love that God has expressed to me in welcoming other people to the table and offering them what God has offered me. You see, there is a there is another side to this all in the end. This is the last thing I'll say. In verse twenty uh, verse forty one in chapter twenty five he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed, and the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in, I needed clothes and you did not clothe me, I was sick. And in prison, you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see, there is a moment that is going to become, that is coming in the future where all of mankind is going to be standing before the throne of Christ. And what he is going to be concerned about is faith expressing itself through love in you and I. That is, that is all. You can come to him and say, you know, I, I, I taught Sunday school, I went to this, I, I did this in the church and this and this. None of that matters if it is not established in love. Nothing. How could it be any different? 
Because the love of God has made it possible for any of us to step into His presence. There's nothing else. It is the love of God that conceived the plan of salvation. It is the love of Christ that hung Himself on the cross and received nails and beatings and being spit on for our sake. The Bible says that He, though being in the form of God, did not count that as something to be grasped, but humbled Himself taking on the nature of a servant, and humbled himself even to death on a cross. You see, God had all of the, Christ had all of this glory, he had all of this wealth, everything that you could imagine, being a king in the presence of God, being the son of God, and he counted that as nothing for the sake of you and I. And humbled himself as a servant, so that we could be invited to God's table. Now how could he expect any less from us? Now that's not going to always. That's not going to take the form of you hanging on a cross. That's not going to take the form of uh, the exact things that Christ did. But sometimes it's hard for us just to get to the point of inviting somebody who can't repay us. Sometimes it's hard to get to the point where we invite somebody who can't, who who we're not comfortable with, somebody who's beyond our family. You know, one of the simple things, I, I, I was reading a book, uh, I was reading a book on hospitality, and uh, it was a book called, by Tom Rainer, and uh, he was consulting with churches, and uh, basically what he did is he would go into churches, and uh, he, would, he would have their list of all the people who would visit, and never, they never came back. Uh, and basically what he would do, he would call them and ask them why. Uh, and there was almost always there was nine different answers that they would receive uh, for reasons why. For the most part, it was nine different answers. Uh, and uh, one of the huge ones was simply that people weren't very welcoming. So people weren't very loving. You see, that's not that's not always intentional. I, that's not always an intentional thing. But sometimes we don't get beyond ourselves to look at what it might be like for a stranger to step inside of a church. How uncomfortable that might feel. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for us to talk to people we don't know. It definitely is for me. That's not one of my strengths in life. But you see, God has called me beyond that. One of the most amazing things... Uh, I promise I'm almost done. One of the most amazing things is how God works when you start to pray for something. Then he will put you in a situation where you don't have a choice but to get beyond it. Uh, I, you know, I, I had been praying that God would, uh, you know, help me and basically in the area of hospitality and in my ministry and all of that. My whole life I said, I remember two years ago, or even more recently than that, my pastor would come into my office and he would, you know, I would teach on Wednesday nights and he, he would say, hey, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with your teaching? I'm fine with leading worship and teaching on Wednesday nights. I would never, I, I would tell people specifically, I will never, I want nothing to do with being in this position. I don't want that. 
But praying for God to help you be a more hospitable person. I have a long way to go. Praying for that, God began to change my heart and make it apparent that I didn't have a choice. I did have a choice, but I would have been miserable. You see, I I don't know what it is in your life today. I, I don't know what it is that that hinders you from being hospitable. I know in my life the things that have hindered me from that. But God is calling us beyond that. God is calling us beyond our comfort zone. I can tell you, Beacon Ministry, there have been countless situations that have been so far beyond my comfort zone. I can't even begin to describe how far beyond my comfort zone. God is calling you to something that the world wouldn't think you'd be called to. In my situation, I, I, my personality alone, I am the last person who you would think by the world's standards should be doing this. I've been in youth ministry, I've been a worship pastor, and I am in this position here. When you think of all those positions, you think of somebody who's crazy and jumping around and excited and all of these kind of things. That is not You all know that by now, that's not me. But you see, God looks and sees something in you that other people don't see. And He will strengthen you when you need it to go beyond yourself. You see, because when that happens then, you can't go back and say, look what I did. In that moment where God strengthens you to go beyond yourself... He is the one who receives the glory. And the byproduct of that is I walk in the freedom and the assurance and the peace and the joy that comes along with glorifying God. In all of this today, what I am saying to you is, as the worship team comes up and we close, before we know it, it's going to be a new year. I was going to say forget all of your resolutions about fitness and all those kind of things. Don't forget those things. If you need to do that, that's good. Do it. Be healthy. But be healthy spiritually. In all of your resolutions, if I could tell you one thing to commit yourself to doing this next year, serve someone in a way that is sacrificial. I'm not talking about just one time. I'm not talking about going down the road and dumping some money into a charity. Do something that truly is a sacrifice, whether it's, it, it could be financial, it could be with your time, your talents, your gifts, whatever it is, do something that is difficult in serving someone else. Welcome someone in some way. Welcome somebody that you wouldn't normally welcome. Do something for somebody that you wouldn't normally do something for. Because when we do these things, we step into the life that God has made available to us, the freedom that comes in walking with Christ. Everything that God has called us to, all of these things, loving people in a sacrificial way like this, the way that God has loved us, when we do that, we experience freedom and abundant life in Him. Choose that this next year, and start thinking about it now. Don't wait until a month from now to start thinking about it. Think this month 
about how you can do that. Think this month about Christ entering the world in his advent through Christmas to invite us to God's table. And then how I can invite somebody else to the table. I'm going to challenge you when you think about that this month, tell somebody what you're going to do. Not so you can get glory from it, but so somebody can say, hey, did you do that? Did you keep up with it? So somebody can hold you accountable. And because it encourages other people in the body of Christ when they know and see the testimony of somebody else walking in the life that God has called us to. So think about it. Think about what Christ has done and tell somebody what your intentions are. I don't know how all this came across today. I feel like it was all over the place. But what I'm telling you again is my personal testimony that in studying this has pushed me to greater depths of understanding of God's love for me and you and then my responsibility for others. God, we thank you today for the opportunity to worship you and to be together again. And uh, Father, we're so thankful for your hospitality that you have invited us to your family to be adopted as sons and daughters through Christ. And Father, in light of that, help us to be people then who would be generous in our expression of hospitality to others. That we would take our gifts and talents, our abilities, our attention, our finances, everything that we have, and we wouldn't hold on to it for ourselves. We wouldn't store it up for ourselves, but we would freely and generously offer that to others. Father, give us light. Each one of us individually give us wisdom and discernment and understanding the ways that you would desire for us to be hospitable to others. Father, help us to be rooted and established in your love and help that to flow out of us into other people. Father, we love you and we glorify you today. If you have a need this morning, come to this side. You can pray by yourself. If you come to this side, somebody will pray with you.